Thank you, praise team. Would you pray with me? God, we come today in the in-between. We come reminded by the Thanksgiving holiday this week that we have a lot to be grateful for. So we give you thanks for your faithfulness and your provision. We give you thanks for your sacrificial love that you have shown us, even when we don't deserve it, and even when we forget to show gratitude to you. We thank you for food and shelter and the ability to gather with friends and family around tables and in sanctuaries. Thank you, God, for your mercies that are new every morning. We lift praise and gratitude to you today and every day, for you are the source of every good gift. We are grateful, and yet we come, to, we come out of Thanksgiving straight into Advent, into a season that invites us to acknowledge our personal longing and all of creation's groaning for a Savior. And so we acknowledge, Lord, that though we have much to be grateful for, we also see a lot around us that is not as it should be. We see war around the world. We see shootings in our neighborhoods and schools. And we see hateful words and damaged relationships. We see creation that has been abused and neglected and people who are hungry and diseased and lonely. And so just as the Israelites longed for a Messiah, just as Simeon and Anna waited and longed for God to come close and set people free, so we are longing, God, for you to come again and finish the restoration of all things. We come to Advent longing and expectant with the words of gratitude still on our tongues. And we trust your promise that you will come again. So help us today to hope and to trust in you, Emmanuel, God, with us. And would you keep stirring gratitude in us in this season, for in every season and every circumstance, you are with us and you are worthy of our worship and our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Sarah Nielsen, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the bridge, and uh, I am a giant scaredy cat. Um, seriously, as a kid, I very frequently had nightmares for months after seeing just a five-minute clip of a movie that wasn't even scary. I had nightmares about Back to the Future. I had nightmares about Jumanji. I had nightmares about Jurassic Park, which admittedly for a child is kind of a scary movie to watch. Um, and I would run into my parents' bedroom in the middle of the night, and I would make my mom get in bed with me to fend off the dinosaur that I was certain was peering through the window. Uh, and the situation didn't get a lot better, actually, as I got older. I vividly remember uh, being at a friend's birthday party in middle school, and this friend had decided that a great movie to watch would be Scary Movie 3, which many of you may know is not actually a scary movie. It is a comedy parody of a scary movie. Um, and while it was on, I ran to the bathroom and cried because I was that scared. So um, I have always scared pretty easily, and I still do. I cannot do haunted houses or horror movies. I am not into the now popular serial murder podcasts and TV shows that are, seems like, everywhere. And it's easy for me to look back and laugh about the fictitious movies that scared me or these silly things that don't have any basis in reality. 
But it's a little less easy for me to look back on some of the other things that kept me from sleeping when I was scared as a child. I remember learning in kindergarten about how it was important to make a plan to get out of the house from my bedroom window if there was a fire in the house. The fire department came to school and gave us this whole lesson. And uh, for months, I was scared when I went to sleep that I would wake up to the smell of smoke and a fire in my house. And now, uh, and, and also, when I was in second grade is when the Columbine shootings happened. And for probably years, honestly, I was scared both to go to sleep and to go to school. And now, my fears do tend to be a little less intense, but they focus on interpersonal situations that I didn't really have control over, or fears of how situations will play out at church, or in government, or in my friendships. And those kinds of fears are a little harder to shake off or laugh off or explain away by saying something like monsters aren't real, right? Because there are plenty of things to be afraid of in the world, things that shake our security and things that feel broken or unsafe, places that have caused us to lose our trust in humanity or perhaps for some of us have caused us to question our trust in God. The imperfections of the world around us will do that. They will cause us to fear. And so it makes sense that this tendency to fear is something that is addressed in Scripture all the time. You may have heard before the words do not fear appear in Scripture about 365 times. And as we step into Advent, actually we discover that the Bible amps up its reminders not to fear. God says this through angels to Zechariah and Mary, and to the shepherds, even as God is preparing to enter the world as a baby. It's a theme throughout the Christmas story, and it's actually one of the four themes that we're going to be focusing on as a church throughout Advent. We as a church have decided to actually focus our sermons for the next four weeks on the themes that appear in the angel's announcement to the shepherd. You'll hear this verse in the middle of our scripture reading this morning, but I'm guessing that it's a familiar sentence to you. The proclamation that we will focus on uh, is the angel saying, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today we're going to focus on the phrase, fear not, and then for the next three weeks we'll unpack the phrases, good news, great joy, and all people, as important parts of our understanding of Advent and the story of Christmas. So let's, let's dive into the surrounding passage this morning. If you could open your Bibles with me to Luke 2, verses 8 through 14. Uh, let's re-familiarize ourselves with this portion of Scripture. If you don't have a Bible with you, the words will be on the screen. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it seems important to me 
that the phrase, do not be afraid, is said to so many characters in the Christmas story. And it's the phrase that begins the famous speech by the angels to the shepherds. I've heard many a sermon that talks about the amount of fear that people would have in the presence of angels. And I don't mean to negate that, because I do think that the gravity and the glory of being in the presence of a supernatural being like that would be terrifying. And that's probably at least part of the reason that the angels always have to start by telling people not to be afraid. But I think that there is maybe an even more significant reason this phrase is used throughout the Christmas story so frequently, and it's because all of the people were afraid of something. And the coming of God among us is the only thing that helps our fears subside. One of uh, my favorite artists, Scott Erickson, recently wrote a book with some reflections um, on his go-to Advent-themed artwork. And while he is reflecting on fear, he says this, Be not afraid could be a legitimate substitution for the greeting Merry Christmas. Imagine that for a moment, if you would. If rather than saying Merry Christmas to people as you uh, enter a store, or rather than saying Merry Christmas to people as you enter a church building, if you slowed down and looked people in the eye and instead said, be not afraid. And I get, okay, that that would be weird, so you're probably not going to do that, and it would break our social norms, and many people would not actually enjoy that experience, but how many of you today need that invitation? to remember, don't be afraid. As you prepare for another child, even though your income isn't what you wish it would be, don't be afraid. You're not alone. Don't be afraid. As your memory is not what it once was and you struggle to get up off of the couch, don't be afraid. You're not alone. Don't be afraid as you consider how much technology is impacting the world around us. Don't be afraid. Your children and your grandchildren are not alone. Don't be afraid as you consider the ways that your community and your church and your social network is changing. Don't be afraid. You won't be alone. How many of us could use that reminder through this Advent season for some part of your life that is making you anxious right now? The people in the original Christmas story needed these reminders too. Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and the shepherds and the people keeping watch in the temples, they needed to be reminded not to fear because just like for us, the world they were living in was scary too. Judea was a scary world. Government leaders at the time were so power hungry that they endangered and even killed children to make sure that they kept their money and their positions of power. The taxes were high and unpredictable, and the people in the community didn't even reap the benefits of them. The rich got richer, and the poor kept wondering how they were going to make ends meet. Shepherds kept watch over their flocks, missing bedtime stories with their children, and worrying that there was going to be enough food on the table. Elizabeth and Zechariah struggled to get pregnant, and they feared and worried that their plans and their dreams might not get fulfilled. There were things happening in their lives that were entirely out of their control. And Mary, people were so quick to ostracize a woman who got pregnant outside of marriage. Mary could have had all of her closest relationships broken in an instant. Mary would have had her social standing, her community lost. She had plenty that she could be fearful for. And Joseph 
Joseph, I'm sure, felt like he had been betrayed and disappointed by someone that he thought he could trust. And I'm sure that before the angel arrived, he spent some time spinning and fearing a future that was so very different than what he had been preparing for and planning for. The world even then was broken and unpredictable and in need of a savior. Sin and darkness and scarcity reigned and they were longing for God to intervene. Because he had promised that he would. But it had been 400 years and it seemed like God had stopped speaking or moving or intervening. And I wonder if many of the people had started to resign themselves to the fact that they were going to have to do this alone. Isaiah says it this way. You heard Beth read this earlier. The people were walking in darkness. They were living in the shadow of darkness before the light shone, and they were anxious and afraid and felt that they were left to fend for themselves. I remember laying in bed at night as a kid, trying hard to not be afraid of dinosaurs and fires and guns. I tried everything. I kept my lamp on. I put on story tapes to distract my mind. I held tight to my giant stuffed horse that I do still have. Um, But nothing that I did subsided that fear. Nothing made me feel better when I was in my room on my own. Nothing made me feel better until I would get out of bed and tiptoe to my parents' room and whispered, Mom, Mom, Mom. And after she got her, past her initial uh, freak out, because how scary is it to have a child standing quiet, quietly in the dark in front of you as you wake up? After she got past that, she would get out of bed and she would come lay next to me until I fell back to sleep. Now, she didn't actually make the dangers or the potential situations go away. She just laid next to me. She just made me feel like I was no longer the only person in the room or the strongest person in the room, and she reminded me that no matter what happened, I was not alone, and her presence brought me peace. Now, my nightly fear as a child lasted actually a pretty long time. I was still struggling to sleep without nightmares and to fall asleep without fear until late elementary school. And one night, I remember waking up in the middle of the night from a nightmare, breathing heavy and kind of shaking, and I decided that I would try to recite Psalm 23 in the middle of the night, a passage that we had been memorizing in our Sunday school class. And this was not the first time that I had tried this. And I recited it in my head a few times, feeling no real relief or peace from my fear. But then... I opened my eyes, and I'll never forget, I experienced a light and a warmth fill my bedroom, and my fear just left. And after that night, when I felt fear, it didn't last very long. And I don't know why God didn't intervene like that sooner, and I know that some people don't ever have an intervention like that, but in that moment, for whatever reason, God's grace to me was that he decided to make himself known in a very real way. And I knew that I was not alone. The presence of God gave me peace, just like the presence of my mom had. And I knew that I would not be alone going forward. Part of the reason, I think, that the angels 
say don't be afraid so much in the Christmas story. It's because they know that the one thing that could calm our fears is about to happen. God is coming among us, so we are no longer alone. God has chosen to get out of bed and come to our rooms and to lay next to us so that we can know that we are no longer the biggest or the strongest or the only person that has to deal with the situations we face. Be not afraid, because I am with you now. This is the good news of Advent. Emmanuel, God, is with us. And that doesn't mean that all of the scary things will disappear. It doesn't mean that all of the dangers in the world subside, and it does not guarantee that God will intervene to make things perfectly joyful or peaceful. But it means that we are no longer alone in our fears. We are no longer braving the unknown of the future by ourselves. And let me tell you, that makes all the difference. Because no matter what the future holds, and no matter how crazy the world gets, no matter how broken things may seem or how many curveballs come our way, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love and the presence of God. We are never walking any situation alone. And so as we step into this Advent season, as we step into seasons that feel disruptive or scary, remember that be not afraid could be a legitimate substitute for Merry Christmas. Be not afraid, for he is with you. Be not afraid. You don't have to figure this out by yourself. Be not afraid, for God has come. Be not afraid. You are not alone. Be not afraid, for God is bigger than you. God is a parent who is wiser than you and is by your side. In this season and every season that follows, be not afraid. Would you pray with me? God, we are small and we are needy and we are not in control. But you are, and you are strong, and you are big, and you are present. And so, God, would you, in real ways today, bring your presence to places that are scary? Would you bring your presence to places where we are experiencing anxiety or depression or fear of the future? Would you teach us, God, to look for your presence in our midst? Would you teach us, God, to not fear because we are not alone? God, I don't know what that looks like for each person in this room, but I do ask that your presence would come near, that you would make us aware that Emmanuel, God, is with us. Would you help us to trust that and to seek that and to remember that in this season? In Jesus' name, amen.